this podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Christopher Kakuyo-sensei, and I'm the sensei with the Salt Lake Buddhist Fellowship. We are an independent, transsectarian, all-inclusive Western Sangha in the Mahayana tradition. The Way of Oneness podcast is a collection of our Dharma talks delivered at the Salt Lake Buddhist Sangha. Enjoy the Dharma talk. For today's Dharma talk, I want to talk about the second precept of the Buddhist ethical teaching. So we're doing a series right now on the five precepts, and today we're going to talk about the second precept, or the mindfulness training to refrain from taking that which is not freely given. Now, on a superficial level, this is a very straightforward injunction that tells us not to steal. Why? Well, because an awakened person does not steal. An awakened person does not see the world as have or have not, and does not approach life from any sense of lack, but from an innate inner abundance, a innate enoughness. When I first started to explore and examine this precept, when I first became Buddhist, my first inclination was to feel guilt over taking paper clips from work or hopping on tracks and not paying for a couple of stops. Um, also to printing things for personal use on my work computer. And it's funny how the mind finds ways to kind of compensate for this discomfort, like buying a ream of paper to replace the 50 pages I used. Um, but then as I started to practice it, I did start to make sure I paid for my tracks rides. I did start to not take paper clips, even something as small as that, from work. And I think what was more important, though, than these behaviors was that I started to examine some of my motivations for doing what I was doing. But for me, most of these simple practices were really they were very superficial, and, and I think they were more a residual of my old relationship to the Judeo-Christian commandments. Now again, the precepts, we don't practice the precepts to appease a deity or because they make us a good Buddhist. We have to remember that these ethical teachings are not normative, but they're a practice. They're a practice to help us gain insight into the state of mind of an awakened being, a state of mind that is grounded in contentment and calm. A practice based on any kind of checklist is just a checklist, and ultimately it's not transformative. There is a much deeper meaning in the second precept than simply not taking something that belongs to someone else. That's a legalistic approach. Buddhism teaches that there are ten fetters, mental chains that keep us bound, and one of them is dependence on moral rules and religious observances as an end in themselves. Being circumspect and never stealing even paper clips may be laudable, but it is but is it transformative in itself? Maybe. But from my life experience, the end of the second precept is not simply about not stealing or about the observance of a rule, but about how we perceive and interact with the world and our place in it. 
It's about cultivating a state of mind of contentment, of enoughness. My teacher and mentor, Guillaume Kabose-sensei, teaches us that an agitated mind cannot see things as they are. Only a calm mind can. And a continual sense of lack, a subtle greed, creates great and subtle waves of agitation continually. And over time, this creates an even subtler and more pernicious sense of entitlement. At the heart of the second precept is an antidote to this continual refrain and rationalization that is at the heart of taking something not freely given. And that is, I deserve this, or I deserve more than I'm being given. Both of these are manifestations of the poison of greed. I appreciate these words from Julie A. Johnson on a deeper understanding of greed. She's a Zen practitioner and a professor of economics, and I highly recommend her work. Quote, even if I'm not trying to get more than my share, which is what I usually think of as greed, there is something in the sense of unsatisfactoriness that is about me telling the universe that it's wrong. Sometimes I feel hard done by, or I feel guilty I'm getting less than what I'm due, or what I see people around me having. More commonly, I locate the source of unsatisfactoriness in myself. I would be happier if I only were able to, or a whole list of I shoulds. I feel that somehow my life was measured, and my life has not measured up to what it's supposed to be, end quote. So what is the old saying, we should stop shooting all over ourselves? And it reminds me of the words we say just before chanting in our practice manual, quote, Stop torturing yourself with all those made-up stories of who you think you are and aren't. End quote. This is the spirit of the second precept, examining all the subtle forms of greediness, of lackness, and how they disturb our peace and keep us from cultivating a calm mind. This is something I never even contemplated or was taught regarding the Eighth Commandment, Thou shalt not steal. That was all about paperclips, about things, and about being a thief. But here's the thing. In reality and in my own life, what I find myself stealing is not these objects, but I steal time. This is more subtle than, than paperclips. Time stolen. Time stolen away from the people, the values, the aspirations that mean the most to me. In this realization is the chance for a transformation, not the old checklist and a pat on the back. To cultivate the calm mind, the contented mind, we contemplate and practice the second precept. It's here that I'd like to introduce the word enoughness. This is the kind of word I love. There is something about just adding ness at the end of words that can take a familiar word and give it more life. The word muchness came to define my courtship with my wife in a series of love poems that I dedicated to her. And that came from the play of words born out of E.E. E. Cummings and his puddle wonderful. Um, and also it came from the idea of Buddhism where there is suchness. So now we're going to look at enoughness. 
And I first ran across this word in Julie Johnson's work on her contemplation of the second precept. And I want to share some words from the practice manual at Boundless Way Zen, where she was a practitioner. And this is a reflection on the second precept that the Sangha recites together. Okay, so, quote, Self-nature is inconceivably wondrous. In the realm of the unattainable dharma, not having thoughts of gaining is called the precept of not stealing. The self and the things of the world are just as they are. The gate of emancipation is open. Being satisfied with what I have, I bow to take up the way of not stealing. End quote. And, and I, love, I love that idea in that, in that aspiration is the thoughts of not gaining. Being satisfied with what I have, I take up the vow of not stealing. Now, this is Roshi Bartok, who is the Roshi there at Boundless Way Zen, at least the time that this Dharma talk was given. And here's the commentary that he gives on this verse. Quote, I value cultivating a sense of enoughness with regard to material, relational, and spiritual attainments. And why I value entrusting to the universe what belongs to the universe and not arrogating itself to myself. End quote. And here's that word enoughness again. For me, it revitalized that rather staid word of contentment. We, we learn here that the practices of the second precept is the practice of being satisfied with what I have. I appreciate this written by Leo Babuta. Quote, There is a famous stone water basin outside of the even more famous Ryoyanji Temple in Kyoto with four characters that read Ware Tada Shiru Daru. This is a Zen saying that can be translated in a number of ways, all to do with contentment, but my favorite translation is all you need, you already have. End quote. A radical concept in a consumerist society. In some ways, enoughness is antithetical to the culture and society that we have created together. I appreciate this quote and this idea, and this is the state of mind that can be described as enoughness, and it's from Christina Mittermeier, and it's this quote. Enoughness is a word I came across on my travels when I met people, despite lacking material wealth, were immensely happy and felt like they have enough. It has to do with taking only what you need and using everything that you take, knowing that doing so will allow others also to have enough. End quote. I love the word enoughness. And in our last gasp consumer economy, the idea, the idea of enoughness is anathema. It is a radical and dangerous idea. We live in a society that runs on the opposite of enoughness. We are constantly bombarded by not enoughness. So much of what we're experiencing in society right now is because of a programmed needed need. A constructed and accepted state of mind that can simply be described as a persistent state of lack. Today's world, it's hard not to live with a persistent sense of lack because we're told a hundred times a day through media and advertising and social media that we are. 
our contemporary world survives by creating this artificial sense of lack. Tells us that we are lacking the things, and the only reason we're not happy is because we don't have this car, that brand of toothpaste, this brand of smartphone. We come to believe that these things, once we get them, will make us happy. End of story. As David Lloyd, the Buddhist teacher and philosopher, writes, quote, we start to relate to the world through acquisition, end quote. The second precept is the antidote to this misperception of the world. One of the many names of the Buddha is the great physician, and many of, teachings, many of his teachings are called antidotes to certain states of mind. The second mindfulness training, not taking what is freely given, is the antidote to this perceiving the world through acquisition, through attachment, craving, and greed. And the prescription is simple. The attitude to greed, excuse me, the antidote to greed is generosity, which is born out of awareness of enoughness. I appreciate this from Brian Thompson. Quote, there's always something new to desire, isn't there? We're never completely happy. We're always searching for the next thing to amuse us for a few moments. We're always on a quest to achieve, acquire, obtain. Our sense of lack fuels us. It keeps us busy, but it also distracts us from realizing our true happiness, that which is already within each of us. End quote. At the heart of our contemplation of the second precept is the cultivation of gratitude and generosity. The affirmational expression of the second precept is be generous. From the Zen tradition, a monk once asked the Chinese Zen master, Hui Hai, what is the gate of Zen practice? Hui Hai answered, complete giving. End quote. Here is the antithesis of stealing, complete giving. In my previous tradition, at least culturally, sexual purity was the primary virtue. In Buddhism, it's generosity. So if one were to ask me how to practice the second precept, it would be to say, just don't steal. Now, though generally wise words, and that all of us know this already, I would say, and it would be more accurate, practice generosity. The transformation doesn't come from not stealing, but from the cultivation of generosity. I love this from Dogen. Quote, the mind of living beings is difficult to transform. In the beginning, it must be done through giving. End quote. One way that we can begin to practice the second precept as a practice of generosity is first to develop a gratitude practice. The more we see and appreciate what we already have, the more we see the falseness of our, perce our perceived lack or even our entitlement. Contemplating the spirit of the mindfulness training to not take what is freely given opens a door for us to become more aware of daily grace, something that is beyond self-power, self-conceit, deserving or not deserving. 
the second precept offers us an invitation to take notice of the grace we receive every day, which also ties us into our practice of the first precept, affirming life. Or as Greg Kretsch writes in his book on Nikon, quote, to live a life of gratitude is to open our eyes to the countless ways in which we are supported by the world around us. End quote. Jack Kornfell suggests a practice for the second precept by undertaking for one week to act on every single thought of generosity that arises spontaneously in your heart. The second thing we can do is start to do a gratitude journal. Carry it with you and start writing down the smallest things that you are grateful for. Like the way the sun lights up the front hallway in the late summer. Or how long your child's eyelashes are. Or the smile from a stranger that changes your mood. Or the glory of an early morning alone. Or the wet juice of a late summer peach running down your chin. As we become more aware of the grace we have received, the more motivated we are to protect and nurture the gifts. From our great earth bodhisattva, the teachings of the Buddha, and compassion and loving kindness towards people, these are all part and parcel of the practice of the second precept. That means the part of practicing the second precept is not just to not take things, but to stand up to bear witness to exploitation when it is happening. When we don't, we are simply ignoring the suffering and boundless ignorance that has given birth to its appearance. So the last practice, and one, to see, one that seems to come naturally through a gratitude practice, is one that might be the most important right now, and that is to stand up against this exploitation of the natural world and of other people and marginalized communities. As we deepen our gratitude, we come to realize on a deep level that there is no I apart from others. And when someone is marginalized or silenced, then it's not just them that are marginalized and silenced. It is also me. It's also you. Whether it is our natural world or in our marginalized communities, it is not happening to someone else. It is happening to all of us. So part of practicing the second precept is to examine our current relationship to the earth and to its gifts and seeing where it is being exploited and where we as a society are stealing from future generations for our own convenience. Much of this exploitation is simply driven by a pathological sense of lack that is part of our cultural and karmic inheritance. It is our ability to not be satisfied with what we have, which is so much. I contemplate and think about what you can do to practice the spirit of the second precept when it comes to the natural world and our relationship to it. 
we can do the following, as Thich Nhat Hanh has said about the precept, quote, the second precept is not to steal. Instead of stealing, exploiting, or oppressing, we practice generosity. Exploitation, social justice, and stealing come in many forms. Oppression is one form of stealing, and that causes much suffering both here and in the third world. The moment we undertake to cultivate loving kindness, loving kindness is born in us, and we make every effort to stop exploitation, social injustice, stealing, and oppression, end quote. So, from our experience in our previous tradition, we looked at the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments had this feeling of um, a very legalistic, normative feeling. And here we now are looking at the second precept of Buddhism. And in the affirmational, again, it is not that legalistic way of looking at the teachings from the Buddha, but it is non-normative. It is to gain insight into the mind of an awakened being. And we do that by being generous, by developing our gratitude. In Wan Buddhism, it is said that gratitude practice itself is a path and a gate to awakening, to becoming a Buddha. So I want to challenge all of you as part of your practice of the second precept to contemplate the second precept far beyond paper clips. May it be so. Namo Amida Butsu. Thank you for listening. To learn more about our fellowship, please go to saltlakebuddhist.org. We look forward to having you here again. Namo Amida Butsu.